In this episode, I'll muse about the range of methods and how to answer the question, which method should I use? And as you may imagine, the right answer is difficult to determine because it's actually a flawed question. The method needs to meet the moment and moments change faster than we usually notice. So here we go. Episode 76, Methods and Moments. I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. The other day I was helping someone with her horse. Uh, it was a professional and she had a really challenging horse. Now we shared really similar principles and priorities and fairly similar general methods, you know, definitely in the horsemanshipy or <laughs> relationshipy, partnershipy kind of area. Now in in watching her with this horse, I started to realize that there was part of a spectrum of possibilities and techniques that she wasn't using. Now, the methods being used were really fair, but if we step back and look at the range of what we can do with a horse from on one end of the spectrum, using really high rewards and only rewards on one end, and on the other end, we can use really high amounts of pressure. And, you know, of course, we have to put punishment in there somewhere. But in general, I don't think positive punishment <laughs> really works or is advisable. Um, but, you know, pressure and release and um, punishment-y kind of things. And, of course, there's neutral in the middle. And so what I noticed with this horse who is, um, could be one of the things was, could be really aggressive. I noticed that they were staying in the neutral to pressure range. And again, they were doing it well. So not abusive, not forceful, not punishing, you know, stuff like that, but it was definitely in the neutral to pressure. So a typical pressure release kind of method where the most, um, enjoyable thing was, nothing, right? So you're just using comfort and release. And, you know, for a lot of horses, you know, that pressure and release system can work. They get it. Horses love comfort. So it works for them. But with a horse with anger issues and trust issues, and often with fear issues, um, it stood out as a missing piece, I was like, wow, there's a whole half of the piano, <laughs> you know, that you're, they're not going below middle C <laughs> or above or whatever the analogy is. And now here's the, here's an interesting part, which is what made me decide to do a podcast about it is when I kind of suggested that they enter that range, I sensed some resistance. Now they didn't tell me no, but I could feel there's like, mm, <laughs> maybe not. And I got the sense that she felt that using a reward 
would somehow make it not a real, and that's in air quotes, a real result. That if there was a reward involved, they still wouldn't know for sure that the horse was doing it because they asked. And so that got me thinking, which it, you know, it sort of seemed to imply that the, this person thought that the only valid measure of training is if the horse would do it simply because the horse asked whether or not they really wanted to. Now, that's a useful, that's a useful sort of situation, you know, especially if you think back in the day when we needed horses to work for us to plow fields or for transportation, you know, there was certain like, we got to get this done. And the safest, you know, best situation is if everybody just knows the rules and I can get you to do what I need you to do. And even these days where we're not using horses like that for jobs, now, a lot of people still are, but like me, <laughs> my horses, <laughs> they don't need to do anything, right? This is all just for my own fun and entertainment. <laughs> so even now, I think every horseman needs to be able to do the skill of, come on, I need you to do this now. Absolutely. But I find as I move more and more into the priority of relationship, I found the percentage of times that I employ that method is actually becoming smaller and smaller, although it is still there because there are times I need it. I, I use the analogy of the leadership like to cross a busy highway, right? So if I have to, for some reason, have to get a horse across six lanes of traffic, there's a fire coming or you know, whatever the reason, it's just an analogy, you know, I want to be able to go, come on, we're going. And if halfway through the horse goes, I'm not really comfortable with this, I can go, yeah, I hear you. Let's get on the other side. We'll talk about it later. All right. So there still is uh, a very relationshipy, partnership, partnershipy for the love of the horse reason to be able to control things. And so I need it because I asked. That's why. <laughs> so, but again, I find I use it less and less and less. Now in, you know, once I got home and I was trying to think about this, like, oh, that's really interesting that there wasn't this openness to exploring ranges of, you know, from neutral, how can I, how can I help my horse feel even better and even more motivated and even more well-paid? I was like, that's really interesting. And so I was kind of tracing back the conversation and earlier in the inter interaction, she mentioned she was mentioning something about um, something the horse could do well, but then she qualified it with, but it's just like a trick and kind of brushed it off. Now it was actually a fairly high level <laughs> kind of thing, but it's like, ah, but that doesn't really count because it's just a trick. As if learning something as a trick made the results somehow not as valid. And so, you know, then of course I'm like, well, what is that word trick? mean. So I got out the Google. I was going to say, get out the dictionary. I got out the Google and I found out that the word trick originates from an old French word that means to deceive. So I was like, aha, <laughs> that's where the word trick gets a bad name. So if you teach a horse a trick to do something on cue, it's deceptive. Now, you could imagine, you know, a, a performance, you know, we've seen comedy performances with horses and, you know, the phone rings and then it looks like they answer the phone. So that's a trick, 
The horse didn't necessarily go, oh, I'm going to pick up the phone and see who's there. They have a cue. Somebody trained it when the phone rings. When, when this thing makes this sound, you pick up this thing, right? So we can say, okay, it's deceptive. But, you know, still, they did it. And so, you know, maybe it's a trick because you can't actually force the horse to do it. You know, if the horse didn't pick up the phone, would you shove it in his mouth? Would you like forcefully open the mouth and shove the phone in there? And if you could get the horse to do it that way, then that would make it more real. I don't know. I don't really think so. So that made me think about uh, getting horses to, to lay down, right? So multiple ones of my horses lay down. We have a cue to lay down. I can say, hey, you want to lay down? And they'll lay down. But there's multiple, multiple different ways, multiple different methods to end up with a horse laying down. And again, think about that whole range that I mentioned earlier from using only rewards to using some sort of pressure. So I came, I, there's, there's three main ways to lay, to lay a horse down. One is to just what I said, to lay a horse down. The horse is tied and there's using ropes and restraints to kind of physically have the horse get off balance and fall down. And then the pressure stays there until the horse submits. And eventually they get a good dose of learned helplessness and they will lay down. So that's one way. It's not my way, but it you know, it works if you mean the goal was to get the horse on the ground and the horse is on the ground. And I could imagine because horses are amazing and they figure it out that they end up, you know, being able to look like they're laying down very willingly because they've sort of given up all hope of other things. Like if they don't lay down, they're going to be knocked down. So you can make a horse lay down that way. Now, another method kind of in the more towards the middle section would be you do use some pressure, um, but it's more like you're using the aid of a rope to um, gradual to communicate to gradually approach the horse deciding to lay down. So you could use a stick to suggest that the hind feet come under. You can ask the horse to lift a front leg. You can have your hand on the leg and then rock the weight back. And you could reward small approximations as you get near that. Um, as you go, so you're doing a little bit of manipulation, a little bit of maybe, you know, so you don't have to bend down and hold the, the leg. You can use a rope so you can stand up in a comfortable position and have the leg up. And you can use those pressures uh, in order to clarify what you'd like the horse to do. And you're still using pressure release, but you're also using maybe a little bit of reward. Pressure, invite the horse back, they come back, you release you put the leg down, you give them a cookie. And the next time you try to go a little further. I think that's a great way to do it. And I've seen that that done when it's really in the middle. It, it can be done very beautifully. And now another end of the spectrum would be pure scan and capture. So you just watch the horse. And when he lays down all by himself, you go over and you go, good. And you give him a cookie and you give him lots of cookies or whatever it is that he likes, scratches. And you repeat that. Whenever it looks like he's getting ready to lay down, you make sure you're around, 
Don't disturb it. When they're laying down, good. Cookies, make them really happy you did that. And you can start adding a cue. So the usual way I get my horses to lay down is at some point in the summer, I ride them, I hose them off, I bring them from the wash stall over to a nice sandy area. Chances are they're going to roll because they feel safe with me. And as they are pawing, I start pawing and I start thinking about them laying down. And as they go all, once they commit to going down, I go good. And I got a pocket full of treats. And then pretty soon I can just go, you want to lay down? And I start to paw the ground with my foot and down they go. Now with choices one and two, the first, the first two that I mentioned, um, if the horse doesn't want to lay down, you can probably make them lay down. With the last choice, the scan and capture, you can't. I mean, if they don't want to lay down, I there's no, you know, <laughs> you're just like, would you lay down? No, you're not going to lay down. Okay. However, I have to say, once you've established, like now that my horses have the cue for laying down, I found that there are times when you know, in the middle of a session when my horse is not necessarily thinking of laying down and I can suggest it and they'll go, yeah, okay, I'll lay down. So it ends up being, is it a trick? Did I deceive anybody? No, it's just something I taught in that way. So in this mindset of it's not valid unless you can sort of make your horse do it, even if he doesn't want to, then that would make only choices one and two valid training methods and choice three is not, it's, you know, in some people's minds, but I want to, you know, entertain, like those are all training methods. They're all equal. Well, they all can work to achieve the goal. And then we just have to see what actually is our intention. And I just want to tempt anybody listening here to think about that deep of a, of a mindset or a, uh, the word's not coming to me, but you know, that, that very deep inherent belief about is it, is the final goal of training is I need to be able to make it happen at any time, even if it doesn't need, doesn't want to happen. And that I think used to be an assumption of my training process. Cause that's kind of very common in the traditional world. And now it's just simply not. If the horse doesn't want to do it, I don't need to necessarily make it happen in that moment. I need to figure out why he's not willing to do that. And then that's on me. <laughs> so <clears throat> there's, and then this, you know, welcome to the wandering brain of Karen. So I'm like thinking about all that stuff. And then I came across quite by accident, a really interesting article in the New York times. Uh, it was online and I will put a link to this in the show notes. Uh, but it talks about the value of children being able to express their objections and feelings. Now <laughs> disclaimer, I am not a parent. <clears throat> I have no experience in raising humans. <laughs> so parents out there, I know nothing. But the New York Times said that uh, there were some studies done and it explained how children who were afraid to express their objections and their feelings actually don't blossom. Um, and the ones who were afraid to voice their opinions go deep into submissiveness and end up with confidence problems. 
And I read that and I'm like, whoa, this is very applicable to horses. So one of the things when you start thinking about more relationship and more partnership kind of training with horses, part of that is you've got to be able to accept when your horse says no. You've got to accept that they're going to tell you. Because if you're saying you're training based in partnership, but your horse is not able to say no without it being not without it being and have it be not okay, if they do say no, that that means the training's not working. You're kind of stuck. You're not really in partnership. So in partnership is if one day my horse comes out and goes, no, heck no, <laughs> then that's not a submissiveness problem. It's, it's thank you for telling me, Hey, I wonder what's going on. You don't feel like laying down today. I wonder why not? How can I motivate you to do it? How can I be clear? Not, I need to get you to lay down. Does that make sense? I hope so. So anyway, super interesting article. I will definitely link it in the show notes. Okay, so now back to the definition of the word trick. Because I didn't really like that definition of to deceive. I'm like, there's got to be a different definition for this. So I look deeper and, you know, when they give the, when you find the definition online, they give you a couple definitions and then it's like, see more. <laughs> so I clicked see more. And if you open up see more and you scroll down a little bit, you'll see some other choices for the definition of the word trick. One describes it as an adroit technique. Well, what the heck does adroit mean? Adroit means expert or nimble in the use of hands or body. Yes. <laughs> That's a good definition of the word trick. An expert or nimble use of the hands or body. An expert technique. Another um, definition of the trick is, uh, or of, of adroit is cleverly skillful, resourceful, or ingenious. Aha. So people who train using tricks are cleverly skillful, resourceful, or ingenious. Yes. Uh, another definition of the word trick is a dexterous feat, especially meant to entertain. All right. I'll take the dexterous part of it. And another definition is the art um, or knack of doing something skillfully. Yes, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I'll take it. So it's, <laughs> it's also interesting, you know, the, the part about the entertainment, it's like, oh, well, if it's, it's just entertainment, it's not seen as important as, you know, something that was a hard training process. It's not valid unless it was a hard training process and you did the hero's journey and you came out the other end and the horse is like, okay, I'll do it. How about they doing it because they think it's fun and they're well paid. <laughs> so with this person that I was helping, you know, again, looking at the conversation and then in the moment, um, give, as I was giving some suggestions about what she could do, I realized that the real resistance was actually in the use of reward, especially food rewards. So instead of using comfort, release, doing nothing as a reward, then, you know, to actually give a scratch or, a, or a cookie or whatever the horse wants, like, a little liberty or gallop or, you know, whatever it was. And that this person was actually connecting the food 
uh, the reward as a bribe. So she, what she said was, I wanted to make, you know, how am I going to know if I'm giving rewards, how am I going to know if the horse is really doing it for me or if they're just doing it to get the treats? Interesting. And it's kind of like a boss saying they don't want to pay their employees because he wants to make sure that they really want to be there. It's kind of crazy. So what I explained was there is a difference between rewarding and luring or baiting, right? So there's a difference between after you do the thing, I'm going to pay you for it. It's going to work out really well for you or going or holding a bucket and going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm luring. Now, luring and baiting, there's a time for that. Now, keep in mind, food is usually pretty low on the priority. If a horse is really scared or really untrusting, the food, they're not going to go for the food. So if rewarding, if uh, luring and baiting is working, they're probably already in a pretty good state. And sometimes that's a great way to kind of bridge a difficult moment. And then later you take it away. But I like to use it mostly as reward. And then that got me thinking. <laughs> I was thinking this whole idea of like, no, I want to make sure they're doing it just because they want to do it. And I don't want to pay them because then I'll never know if they really want to do it. Like, hmm, interesting. But I think a lot of people actually have this bias against rewarding or against paying. Now, here's this is really a stretch, guys. Thank you for hanging in here. We're going to go from horse training to, you know, <laughs> we're going all over the road here. But I've seen this happen when people um, think about nonprofit organizations or charitable organizations. I've seen people get angry if the person running this charitable organization gets paid too much. You know, all that money should go directly to the cause. Now, I get it. There are people who run fraudulent organizations. I'm not talking about them. People are committing fraud. They need to stop. But there's this feeling of the person running the organization needs to needs to like not take any of the money. But if the person running this organization can't survive on it, how, how are they going to keep doing it? Why should the one person who spearheads something that's helping others have to suffer to prove themselves? If they can't sustain it, how are they going to be able to help more people? Now this happens in the horse business too. I've been told this. I've been told I charge too much. In fact, if I really loved what I do, I shouldn't charge at all. I mean, people have literally said that to me and written it in emails. If I really loved what I did, I shouldn't, I should be doing it for free. <laughs> and that might explain a high degree of burnout and depression in the horse world. So I think we need to really look deep and, and dig around and see how we really feel about this idea of paying someone well. And we need to get over the idea that paying someone well for what they do is somehow wrong or somehow makes us um, distrust the thing that they're doing. Oh, they're just doing it for the money. Eh. You know, so if you're, if you tend to not want to reward your horse, <laughs> 
look at that. Well, you know, I don't care how you go through life, but if you're thinking that way around people, I would say, I wonder if you're thinking that way about your horse and, you know, do whatever you want with humans. That's not my department, <laughs> except I am a human. Um, but I think, you know, horses didn't ask for any of this. Why should they do it? They're not signing up going, God, I'd really love to do dressage with you, Karen. You know, so I think in that situation, we need to, we need to pay our horses well for something. So this, how did we get here? <laughs> the, the whole point of this section is that we want to have a whole range of techniques and methods available to us, the whole spectrum from big rewards, all the way to neutral, all the way to the pressure that we is appropriate that we need on the other side. And so this brings me to the moments part of this methods and moments episode. So the moment dictates the method. And so a question that I often get from students is about how they should be and what methods they should use. So as an example, recently someone posted in one of my Facebook groups, um, they said, it's difficult to choose what to work on or how to work on it. I've been given advice ranging from, quote, let the horse do whatever she wants to, quote, she needs to do whatever you ask her to do when you ask her to do it. And then she, the, the person said, I like giving the horse a choice, but at the same time, I don't want to end up in a situation where the horse is pushing me around. So many of you might be relating to this. I mean, this is actually, this sort of a question should be going on in every trainer's and horseman's mind whenever we're with a horse. Like, what should I do? What, what should I be doing right now? What's the intention? So there, you know, there's a confusion, but it's not, it doesn't need to be a choice of which one should I be and which one should I do? Because actually we need to be able to use the whole range and things are going to change from moment to moment. And if we're really busy sticking with one method, I'm a, this kind of person, I'm a reward only person, or I'm a pressure only person. We're going to miss the, these transition moments. I don't know how I could train using only one end of the spectrum. I mean, I really don't know how I'm, how I could do it. Uh, I guess I don't want to, <laughs> I want to be able to have a lot of tools in the toolbox. So the question is not so much what method I should be using, but the mess, what is the message that I want to give my horse in any given moment? And if I know what that message is, then I'll better know, you know, how to deliver the message, right? So what the message is and how we deliver the message depends on exactly what's happening in this moment. We've got to be ready to slide up and down, back and forth, you know, on that scale from reward to neutral to pressure and back again and boop, 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 faster than you think. Much faster. So then I think about, all right, what are some different possibilities that we could be doing in any moment? Because I said, you know, in any moment, what's the message we want to deliver to the horse? And like now, like in this moment, how about this moment? How about this moment? So here's some ideas. If you're wondering like, well, what sort of things could I be trying to give my horse a message about? It could be about setting a boundary. It could be asking for a specific response. It could be the, the message is deep in your relaxation. The message could be, I'm following you. 
The message could be, thank you, and you're rewarding the effort. The message could be, oh, let me make that clearer. The message could be, I want you to learn something. It's like an introduction to something. The message could be, I'm refining it, which is means I want a, you know, a, a quicker, lighter response with, with less aids. I might be inviting the horse towards me. I might be sending the horse away. I might be wanting to gain attention. Hello. <laughs> I might be releasing their attention at ease. Game over. I might be trying to motivate. Come on, come on. You got this. I might be calming. You're good. You got this. You're okay. I probably could go on and on, but that's already a pretty long list. And just think of, you know, how quickly what we need to say to our horse could change. And now, now in saying that, I don't want you to think, well, that's going to be like really scattered. You're going to be like ping ponging all over the place or like schizophrenic and our horses need consistency. Yes, we need to be consistent. So where's the consistency? The consistent message always, I think, is that we are calm, we are clear, we are confident, and we are interesting, and we are so full of love for our horse. That is the connecting thread in all of these moments. I love you as I cuddle you. I love you as I define my boundary. I love you so much over there. All right, so back to that long list of intentions for the moment. This is something I often ask my students as I observe them playing with their horses. If I'm seeing some trouble, I'll go, hey, right now, what, what's your intention? And sometimes they'll like, well, I want it, you know, last week they did this. And I was like, no, 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 right now, what's your intention? If you could in this moment say three words to your horse, what would they be? So it's really important when you're playing with your horse, every now and then just stop randomly and go, what am I trying to say? <laughs> if your horse is asking you, what's the message? It's a great exercise. The message needs to be a few words. It might be even one word. No more than five or six words. Now, to give you an example, um, for those of you in the video classroom, uh, there's a short video of me doing moving massage technique. It's a technique I do um, where we massage a horse while we're moving. Uh, and I'm doing it on my new filly. It's November 2021. It's called um, Foundation, or actually it's called Moving Massage with Cora. And she's really interesting because she can be really defensive about being touched on her head and her neck area. And so in that video, I'm, I'm doing this technique, which is a very soft, very deepening relaxation kind of technique. The whole intention of the technique is, oh, I found some tension. You can relax and you can let it go and you can trust me. It's all very, very much full of love, <laughs> but, um, you'll see me needing to uh, change my intention very rapidly. And I'm narrating the whole time while I'm doing this. So I'm like, Oh, you know, here's some tension. You can relax. And the next thing I know she's like swinging around trying to bite my thigh. And I'm like, block, <laughs> block intention, boundary intention, send her away intention, back to, back to deep relax. And it's like fast, really fast. She'll push into me. She'll back off. And then she'll be like releasing and snorting and blowing. So I think 
um, just to give you a little bit of an idea of what I mean about bouncing between these moments and what technique you're using, I think that's a really good indication. So again, that's November 2021 in the video classroom. Uh, you can get to it uh, by going to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and uh, look up November 2001, moving massage with Quora. Um, so if in that moment, if I had only stayed in, you know, relaxation and calm, you know, she would have knocked me off my feet a couple times and bit my thigh. If I only stayed in the like pressure, get away from me, respect my boundaries mode, I don't think I would have gotten her trust to deepen her relaxation. So, you know, to bounce from moment to moment, split second to split second. And again, the whole time, the theme is calm, clear, confident, interesting, and full of love. So we can flow moment by moment. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are going to be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. Now, another example that occurred to me was this morning. I brought a horse in to groom and to tack them up. And normally when I'm kind of in efficiency mode, I come in, put them in the grooming stall, clip on the cross size just to make my life easier. Uh, but this morning I just closed the ends of the aisle and I let my horse wander around while I groomed him. Now, sometimes he's walking off while I'm currying him and I'm just following him. <laughs> sometimes he stood still, you know, but so was he getting away with something? Was, was I letting him push me around? Was he being disobedient? Actually, no. Because in that moment, that was my intention. You can do whatever you want in the barn. I'll follow you and I'm just going to groom you while you do whatever you want in the barn. Now, so he was being perfect. Now, the reason I can do that and it's not going to create bad habits is because I know, because I practiced and I test this, that I know in any moment I could ask my horse to stop or to move or to hold in a certain place. In fact, when I turned around to put the brushes away and I look up and his whole front half is in the tack room, <laughs> he had opened the door and it was halfway in the tack room and I went, ovation, and he backed himself up, right? So, you know, what I allow, I, I know I can allow because I, 
have things in place that I know can keep him safe and keep me safe. So my intention in those moments was to release his attention and follow him. So the method I used was perfect for that. I let him alone. And in another moment, if he goes to like bite an extension cord or, you know, something like that, that I know I can switch and up, back, back, get over there, yield, and then back to follow if I want. So I can pull back and take a look at the bigger picture. And when you start doing techniques like what I was just describing of like allowing your horse to do stuff, then I also need to pull back and say, okay, here's all these little moments. I'm enjoying them. We're all having fun. Good for me. Yay. (laughs) Everybody's having a good time. Now you have to step back and say, what are the consequences of all these choices that I'm making? So is my horse getting easier or harder to handle? Am I making progress or am I backsliding? Right. So let's say, you know, this was ovation that I brought in the barn and was wandering around while I tacked him up. Um, if I found that when I did ask him to yield, he no longer did, or, you know, I'd ask him to back up and he just zip forward and get out of the way. So I was out of position, you know, then I'd be like, well, you know, this is kind of dumb. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm backsliding. This technique with this horse is actually making it worse. Or the next time that I did put him in the cross ties, he was like really pushy and trying to break the cross ties. I'm like, oh, well, those choices of just letting him do whatever he wants might not have helped me. It's actually confusing him, right? So there's times that we do stuff like that ends up making things more confusing to the horse. So it's not inherently right or wrong what you do in that moment, but you've got to do something, be aware of what you're doing in those moments. And then you step back and go, so how's it working for me? (laughs) Right. And this is the tricky part. Again, when you choose a method and if you choose a method and then you miss lots of, well, if you choose a method, it can work. But sometimes if you pull back, you see the missing pieces. So for example, like that person that I talked about in the beginning, they had very, technically good technique, it worked. But when they pulled back and said, well, here's a horse that has a little bit different issue. It's actually not working. And my lack of giving the horse that kind of space or rewards or positive things to do, um, was actually making things worse. So it's always like a zoom into this microscopic moment. And then you've got to zoom back out and look at the big picture. Where am I heading? Is it, am I heading where I want to go or am I backsliding? And so based on how you answer that, you might want to keep doing what you're doing, or you might want to try some different decisions. And then of course you want to pull back even further every now and then and ask yourself, how do I want my horse to feel about their life and their relationship with me? Right? So we can be successful in that we can teach our horse what we want them to do and we can get them to do it and they can be rewarded for what they do. And they might still not be enjoying themselves or me. So I'm always checking that. How's the biggest picture? Because things can get complicated, right? It's relation. Every relationship can get complicated. But for me, I don't need subservience at all times. I don't mind working with my horse I don't mind if their personalities come out. 
I want to prioritize communication, but definitely be able to control things if I need to. I want to be able to say I love you even when I'm setting a firm boundary and that I can set that kind of firm boundary and be big if I need to get big without getting mad, without getting aggressive. And I can have still a high standard for response, but still while being forgiving and being patient. I mean, I say all that. That's what I'm trying to do. I do my best. I'm for sure I'm not perfect. I make a million mistakes. But at least we're looking. So what's absolutely important is that we see the moments and we notice when they change. Those microscopic moments. And you might have to go from big boundary to, to just melting all over them in a split second. Because I think horses want to know that we see them. I mean, I guess, don't we all want that? <laughs> Whatever relationship we're in, we want to be seen. We want things acknowledged. So sometimes an aggressive horse can have a moment of softening. And if we're too set in our need for obedience, that we don't see and acknowledge the softening, we're only going to confirm their need for defensiveness. Sometimes a curious horse can become pushy. If we're too set in our desire to give our horse freedom that we don't see and acknowledge that the horse keeps going through our boundaries, we'll only be setting them up for a big correction or a dangerous situation later. Clarity is kindness and structure gives you freedom. So to play with your horse in this way is really an art there is no one right way for every moment. It's your relationship with your horse and he's looking at you. So the best thing that we can do is to be present and to know what we want to say in any split second moment. Then we need to get out of our heads and let our bodies naturally integrate into that intention. If we think too much in that moment, it creates a delay between our intention and our actions. I've learned that when people are under stress, their illustrators, the gestures that people use when they're talking, think of Italians, <laughs> starts to become out of sync with what they're saying when they're under stress. So it's one way to know when someone's under stress or possibly deceptive. And horses are really attuned to this. When we're out of our moment, when we're in our heads, if we're second guessing and doubting ourselves, then our illustrators, our gestures become out of sync with what we're saying, what we're think, what our intention is. And that's again, why we need to think before we're with our horses. But in the moment we need to feel and be natural and not get too stuck on method. Sometimes saying the sentence out loud really helps the, the sentence of your intention. You're okay. Or oh, stay over there, whatever it is. And you'll see that I do that in the video with my filly. I mean, I say the sentence out loud a lot for the viewers, but actually even when the video is not on, I do say it out loud too. It's good to hear what your intention is. All right. Well, that was a lot of stuff. Thank you so much for listening and helping me get all of that stuff out of my brain. I feel better now. <laughs> so 
<laughs> I'm going to wrap it up there. As always, come, come visit Dressage Naturally Land and let me know what you think. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.